The political world is still trying to understand why Fox would fire its highest rated host, the highest rated host in the history of cable news at the height of his powers. Several theories are swirling. Some have said it's because of a recent defamation lawsuit related to the 2020 election. But that theory falls flat when you remember that plenty of other Fox hosts went way further than Tucker on election fraud claims, and they still have their jobs. Another theory is that Tucker just chose to leave. That one falls flat when you remember that he signed off his Friday show telling viewers that he'd be back on Monday. Now, Vanity Fair has a third theory. The theory is that Tucker was fired for a speech he gave at the Heritage Foundation over the weekend. Maybe we should all take just like 10 minutes a day to say a prayer about it. I'm serious, like why not? And I'm saying that to you, not as some kind of evangelist, I'm literally saying that to you as an Episcopalian. The Samaritans of our time. I'm coming to you from the most humble and lowly theological position you can. I'm literally an Episcopalian, okay? And even I have concluded it might be worth taking just 10 minutes out of your busy schedule to say a prayer for the future, and I hope you will. The whole speech was excellent. I was not able to attend that dinner because I was already booked to speak at another conservative gathering in Colorado that night. I do wish I could have made it to the dinner, though. It turns out that Heritage Foundation dinner might have been one of the most consequential in the history of conservative media. According to Vanity Fair, the head honcho over at News Corp didn't like Tucker's religious recommendation. A Fox source reportedly told Vanity Fair, quote, that stuff freaks Rupert out. I don't know what really motivated Fox to fire Tucker. Of all the theories out there, this one is the most absurd. Episcopalian extremism. The jokes write themselves. That's the joke that Tucker made as he gave his advice. It's the craziest motive you could think of, which is why it's also the most convincing. In this fallen world, you can call for the slaughter of babies the castration of children, the wholesale denial of truth, and you will be celebrated as a wise man and a hero. You will be rewarded. But gently suggest that people humble themselves and pray to God. The principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places that you might have heard about, the prince of this world, they don't like that so much. That's the sort of thing that can get you taken off the air. And that's the sort of thing that proves Tucker's point. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. A really rousing, beautiful speech, speaking of speeches, uh, from a man who ran as a woman in the London Marathon. Talked about girl power. We'll get to that in just a second. First, though, on the Tucker cancellation that has rocked the media and political worlds, at least one person is celebrating. I think a lot of the left is celebrating right now, but, but one leftist figure in particular, AOC, could not be happier. Tucker Carlson is out at Fox News. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. Um, what I will say, though, is while I'm very glad that the person that is arguably responsible for the 
some of the largest driving some of the most uh, amounts of death threats and violent threats, not just to my office, but to plenty of people across the country. Um, I also kind of feel like I'm like waiting for the cutscene at the end of a Marvel movie after all the credits have rolled. And then you see like the villain's like hand reemerge out to grip, grip over like the end of a building or something. But deplatforming works and it is important. And um, there you go. Good things can happen. So blah, 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 blah. Deplatforming works. That's her thesis. And putting all the blah, blah, blahs aside, and you just get to the central thesis of her argument, she's right. Deplatforming does work. The left knows that. That's why the left deplatforms people and severely hampers their ability to communicate. And the right, some people on the right know that, but some people on the right engage in magical thinking where they believe, well, the more you suppress me, the more you censor me, the more people will talk about me. It'll have an ironic, it'll have a paradoxical effect where actually, if you try to suppress my speech, it'll just go everywhere. That isn't true. Think of the major figures who were kicked off of social media. They just kind of went away. Big people in the media, deplatformed, they just kind of went away. They may have maintained a small power base, but their reach was greatly diminished. This is true even of Donald Trump. Donald Trump, every thought that passed through his head, he would tweet out, and it dominated the news cycle for years and years and years. Then they booted him off of social media. And even Trump, who had been a celebrity for 40 years, he had been the president of the United States, he diminished. He faded in the national conversation. Some people still talked about his press releases and his truth social posts, but nowhere near the kind of press coverage that you saw at the height of his powers. Deplatforming works. And conservatives should, should embrace that. Not the arbitrary or unjust kind of deplatforming that the libs push, where you say, oh, he said a true thing. We got to shut him up. Oh, he said men aren't really women. We, oh, we got we to gotta censor that guy. Oh, he said babies are actually human beings. Ooh, we got to shut him up. We got to stop him from saying that. <laughs> no, but we do support some kind of deplatforming. We want, we want to deplatform drag queens in the elementary school, don't we? Okay, so there we go. We're admitting that deplatforming works. We want to deplatform the leftists who are making direct threats against conservatives, don't we? Okay, deplatforming works. We want to deplatform Maya Kababi, the author of Gender Queer, which is gay porn in the libraries for kids. Yeah, okay, deplatforming works. You're right, it does work. AOC's got a point. Now, in the case of Tucker Carlson, is Tucker totally done? No, I hope not. I hope he's got plenty of other outlets that would be more than happy to platform him. I know Daily Wire certainly would. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy pointed out uh, when, when Tucker got the can at uh, Fox, he said, listen, I assume Tucker's already got his own plans, but we are willing to break out a comically sized uh, cardboard check, you know, if he's willing to come on over here. But, de- but deplatforming certainly works. Now, speaking of comically large checks, when you want to streamline your finances, you got to check out Ramp. Right now, go to ramp.com slash Knowles. Do you want a better way to simplify your business finances across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? If so, Ramp could be a complete game changer for your business. Ramp is a corporate card and expense management software designed to help you save time and money. With Ramp, you can issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions, 
and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramps accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so you don't have to. The time you'll save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books eight times faster. Businesses that use Ramp save an average of 3.5% within the first year. Ramp is easy to use. Get started in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. Right now, you can get $250 off when you join Ramp. Go to ramp.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That is R-A-M-P dot com slash Knowles. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members, FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. Speaking of deplatforming, a widow named Jessica Bates wants to adopt children out of the foster care system. She lives in the state of Oregon. She can't do it. She can't do it. Why? Because she's Christian. Jessica Bates was widowed some six years ago in a car accident. Uh, She was already months into the adoption process when she noticed an emphasis on supporting LGBTism, the LGBT movement, specifically respecting, accepting, and supporting the sexual orientation or gender identity of any child placed into her home. So she could get a little boy to take in and care for out of the foster care system, and then one day the boy says, I'm actually a little girl. And the foster, the the adoption system says you have to treat the little boy as a little girl. She says, well, I can't do that. That would be a lie. It's just not true. And it's certainly out of line with my Christian beliefs. And so the foster care system says, okay, well, you can't have a kid. You can't adopt a kid. The thruple, the gay thruple, three dudes that we talked about on the show last week, they can adopt a child, no problem. But this lovely Christian widow is not allowed to adopt a child out of the foster care system, not even a newborn child. Newborn children are harder to adopt. She can't even take in a poor kid out of the foster care system because she's Christian. According to the system, it would be child abuse if she took in that that kid. The gay thruple takes in a kid. That's wonderful. That's so beautiful. That should get headlines all over the world. But a Christian woman takes in a kid. No, that's child abuse. And it has to be one or the other. It ha- the answer to this problem is not tolerance. The answer to this problem is not diversity. The answer to this problem is not, wow, can you believe how crazy the foster care system is? Yeah, it is crazy. But think about it from their perspective. The foster care system believes, and the foster care system in this case just being an arm of the state representing the crazy ideas that have recently been enshrined in our law, they, they view the situation as some men are born in the bodies of women. Some women are born in the bodies of men. There is no higher moral calling than to do whatever feels good sensually and physically. And so if you, are a, a, you think you're a woman, but you're in the physical form of a man, you need to have access to cross-sex hormones. You need to have the ability to chop off your genitals. You need to wear stilettos and a dress. You need to be called she and her. You need to. Otherwise, it, you'll contradict your true self. You'll become anxious. You'll become depressed. You'll become suicidal. It would, it would be child abuse 
for a trans kid to be raised in a Christian home. That's what they believe. That's the idea enshrined in our law, certainly in Oregon, but in a lot of places around the country. Frankly, even at the federal level, because of those two stupid Supreme Court decisions in 2020, Bostock and the Harris Funeral Homes case, which enshrined the idea of transgenderism in the federal law until we can undo it once we get enough conservative judges and enough political momentum. That's probably not going to happen anytime soon. Might have to wait a little while as we had to wait with Roe v. Wade, but we can build toward that. And we have to do that because the consequence of enshrining that into law is that Christian women are not allowed to adopt kids, but gay throuples are. It has to be that way. Or conversely, if uh, boys can't really be girls, and if sexually confused little boys and girls should not be pumped full of poison and have their genitals chopped off, and if the science shows, the largest data set on this shows that actually the transgender procedures, surgical and hormonal, do not alleviate depression and anxiety and suicidality and all the other conditions associated with transgender ideology, if actually, at least in one case, in the case of anxiety, they make the condition worse, well, then that would be child abuse. In, in, in that world, if all of that stuff is true, which it obviously is, then to raise a child and raise a little boy and pretend that he's a little girl, that's child abuse. And that person should not be allowed to adopt children. And the gay thruple with all the crazy sexual ideas and anthropological ideas, that trio should not be allowed to adopt kids. But it has to be one or the other because the state has a legitimate interest in preventing child abuse. And so therefore the state has to form ideas on what child abuse is. So what's child abuse? Raising a kid to believe in God and believe in all the stuff that all the wise people from our generation, from, I'm sorry, from our civilization have always believed across the generations. Or to tell a kid that he's really the opposite sex and pump him full of poison and chop him up, which is child abuse. We all know the answer to that. But our present day culture will not tolerate the true answer. Because a small handful of liberal elites are working in concert with the principalities and the powers of this world to suppress the truth and to promote evil. It's exactly what Tucker alluded to in his Heritage Foundation speech. And that's the sort of thing you're, you're not allowed to say. You're at least not allowed to say it on mainstream cable TV, on the biggest name in news. You're not allowed to say that. It's too true. We got to pick one. What are we going to live according to? As, T- as Tucker made b- beautifully clear in his speech, we used to think of politics as you write your white paper and I write my white paper and we have a, a debate of ideas over which policy is going to be conducive toward the end that we all agree on. That's over. That's over. Now the question is, do kids get to be raised in a Christian household, period? Or are they going to be raised by the throuple transing them? You pick. It's your, it's your society. It's supposed to be your society. It's supposed to be a self-government. Is it still? I'm not sure. Speaking of sexual politics, there's a new, new lawsuit against Trump dropping. That's about that time of the week, right? It's about that time of the week to have a new lawsuit against Donald Trump. This one is from a lady named E. Jean Carroll. She is 79 or 80. It's actually unclear what her age is. I guess a lady never tells. Uh, she was a comedy writer and a journalist some decades ago, and she's claiming that Trump raped her in 1995 or 1996. Details are a little blurry, as I guess they would be from 25, 30 years ago. The year is a little blurry. The accusation is a little blurry. The fact that the accusation only came out some 
20, 30 years later, that's kind of a little bit weird. It's not credible. We've seen a lot of not credible allegations against politicians, against regular ordinary people in recent years. I think you think of the Duke lacrosse case, you think of the uh, Jackie Rolling Stone gang rape case about, was at the University of Virginia? You see countless hoaxes, especially on campus, adjudicated by kangaroo courts. I just gave a speech on this topic not too long ago. I forget which school, but it's up on the YAF, Young America's Foundation YouTube channel. And then you've seen a lot of these accusations against politicians, especially Brett Kavanaugh. Think about the whole Kavanaugh confirmation was some complete looney tune, making an absurd, totally unsubstantiated allegation against Kavanaugh. And then the libs cynically and opportunistically tried to pretend that Brett Kavanaugh, one of the most milquetoast men in the American government, was some kind of serial rapist or something. Completely absurd. And here too, obviously Trump has lived a little bit of a looser life and he's he's a well-known billionaire playboy. But if this were a credible case, don't you think it might have come up before he were the Republican candidate for president? Don't you think it might have come up sometime earlier than 30 years later? What does this show? What it shows is the libs will do absolutely anything to stop this man from becoming president again. They'll indict him in New York over a not even misdemeanor after the expiration of the statute of limitations because he made an in-kind contribution to his own presidential campaign. They'll go after him in D.C. for, I don't know, I don't even remember what they're going after him in D.C. for. Or something about the insurrection or whatever. Then in Georgia, they're going to go after him for calling the Secretary of State and uh, re- requesting some clarity on a, an election that had a lot of shenanigans in it. And now they're going to go after him again for allegedly raping a woman, either in 95 or 96 or whatever, who cares? I don't know. It was a long time ago. Anyway, can we send him to jail yet? And what that tells me is we shouldn't totally write Trump off. The fact that the libs would continue to make absurd, obviously false allegations against him to try their best to get this guy into an orange jumpsuit tells me that despite all of his faults, you shouldn't count Trump out. If they hate him this much, he's got to be at least somewhat over the target. Now, speaking of who's running in 2024, Joe Biden is running for re-election. Okay, moving on. No, I'm joking. Well, we can talk about it for 30 seconds. Uh, He released a video. He didn't do a big live speech. He doesn't have the energy or the ability to articulate a vision for that. So he released some video. He says he's running again. Okay, who cares? Uh, Bad news for him is that there's an NBC News poll found out that 70%, 70% of Americans think that Joe Biden should not run for re-election, which means that obviously the Republicans don't think he should run for re-election. But also 51% of Democrats don't think that he should run for re-election. That's a majority of Democrats, by my mathematical calculations there. Only 26% of Americans think that, that Biden should run for president. Now, I think he does intend to run. I know a lot of people have said, no, he's not going to run. He's too old. He knows it's over. He's just biding his time. He doesn't want to be a lame duck, but then he's going to drop out at the end. Maybe he will. I mean, his, his, his stamina has obviously declined. So maybe something will happen and he will have to drop out. But I don't think he intends to drop out because Joe Biden has wanted to be president since he was in the womb. 
and Joe Biden doesn't like the people in his party. What do you think? You think Joe Biden is just going to step down? The thing he's wanted his whole life that he's run for since the 1980s, you think he's just going to give it up? So what? So he can clear the way for Kamala Harris? He hates Kamala Harris. He's going to clear the way for the woman who called him a racist on national television. That was her entire presidential campaign. I don't think so. You think Biden is going to step down so he clears the way for Mayor Pete? (laughs) The only guy in America who could screw up being transportation secretary. It's one of the easiest jobs in the government. He somehow manages to screw it up. Probably because he didn't show up because he was chest feeding for months. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think he's going to do that. You think that Biden's going to step down to clear the way for Governor Bateman, American psycho Gavin Newsom, so that Gavin Newsom can take the thing at a much younger age that Biden's been working for his whole life? I don't think so. Why would Biden do it? (laughs) What's the guy? Yes, he's diminished. What's the guy got to gain? What's the guy got to lose? This is it. It doesn't get any better than this for Joe Biden. So he's running again. Okay. Okay. That's fine. He better keep up his stamina. When you want to keep up your stamina, get really good nutrition, you got to check out Good Ranchers. Right now, go to goodranchers.com. Use promo code Knowles. If you have not changed the way you buy meat yet, you really need to. Do you know what I had for dinner last night? Give you one guess. I had Good Ranchers. I had a delicious Good Ranchers steak. It was juicy. It was, it's just, it is the finest quality beef that I have in my, I have it not every day, but a great many days. I just adore Good Ranchers. I got three reasons for you. One, they give you free bacon for a year. That's a pound and a half of bacon in every box, $240 value. Number two, Good Ranchers offers a price lock guarantee, meaning that when you subscribe, your price does not change for the length of your subscription. Meat is expected to go up four and a half percent in the coming year. So this could be a huge savings for you and your family. Number three, Good Ranchers meat is unlike any other. All natural burgers, USDA prime steaks, better than organic chicken will change your standard for great meat. It's, I'm a real stickler when it comes to my meat quality. It's magnificent. Go to goodranchers.com. Use promo code Knowles for 20 bucks off your box. Free bacon, great meat, a secure price, and a bonus $20 off today. Promo code Knowles at goodranchers.com. Goodranchers.com. American meat delivered. You know, it seems as though fewer and fewer of us are on the same page when it comes to the fundamentals. This is obviously a huge problem when it comes to our relationship to each other and our relationship to God, but this is not a new phenomenon. The consequences of this disunity date back all the way to the time of Moses. Just listen to what Jordan Peterson has to say about it in the 16th episode of Exodus. There's an irony here that for all the insistence upon equality, the very foundation for that equality in Western culture, i.e. the idea that human beings are made in the imago Dei, in the image of God, has been lost, of Mm -hmm. course. So it's almost as if because of the erosion of this foundation, the drive for equality is stressed yeah. all the more. Well, that's that's it, exactly what Nietzsche. That's exactly what Nietzsche claimed would happen when he wrote. Well, when he's particularly in Beyond Good and Evil, he said that was that was an inevitable. That would be an inevitable consequence. One of my main conclusions from this episode is that I need a cool accent. So I'll be working on that. You should work on watching the show. Jordan is joined by a roundtable of big thinkers from different backgrounds who explore a seminal book of our whole civilization and, of course, of the Bible. It is thoroughly engrossing stuff. We are heading into the conclusion of Exodus, which is exclusively for Daily Wire Plus members. If you haven't seen it, start at the beginning because it is well worth your time. Join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe to watch Exodus. 
Okay, Biden's going to run. Who's running for the Republicans? Well, it certainly would seem as though Ron DeSantis is running for president. He's really ramped up the campaigning here. And DeSantis has a, a new line of attack against Donald Trump. It's probably his most effective line of attack yet. Leaders take the bull by the horns and make the decisions for themselves. They don't subcontract out their leadership to health bureaucrats like Dr. Fauci. Shade, cast, burn, sizzle. This is a pretty good line of attack. It's the best line of attack against Trump, I think, that there is. You could go after Trump on this policy or that policy, but I think uh, the, the most effective one will be to say, Trump gave the country away during COVID. Now, the response to that is, would anybody at the federal level being told that if you don't follow these recommendations, millions and millions of Americans are going to die and it's going to be your fault and they're going to send you to the Hague probably. Would they have done anything different? I don't know. Ron DeSantis can make a fairly credible case that he would have done something different because although he was cautious about COVID in those initial months, he reopened Florida very quickly. And then all the businesses and all the events and all of social life just went down to Florida. And so people got to see in real time that things were different. Uh, certainly the best line of attack yet. Now, DeSantis is trying to be clear, though, that he is not yet a candidate. Governor, I'll show you falling behind uh, Trump. Any thoughts on that? Guys, did not I'm, not, I'm not a candidate, so we'll see if, uh, if and when that changes. <laughs> he says, uh, I'm not a candidate yet, buddy. Uh, now, the reason that the I'm not a candidate yet line is not totally persuasive, is that Governor DeSantis made these comments from Japan. (laughs) As you know, uh, Florida doesn't have a a ton of foreign negotiations usually with uh, other nations, and it doesn't have a, a ton to do with Japan, but Governor DeSantis is using some economic plan in Florida as an excuse to go around and do a little bit of a world tour. This is something that presidential candidates have done for a very long time, and uh, so it's, it's natural that he would be asked on the campaign trail. So what do you think about the polls? You know, Trump is still pretty strong in the polls. You're falling behind a little bit. And DeSantis, I, I think, is just trying to make a little joke here, which is, well, just wait until I kick off my campaign. Uh, but but it, it's difficult to do that with a straight face, of course, when you're a, an American governor and you're in some foreign country, <laughs> right, right before you're expected to announce your presidential campaign. Now, speaking of those polls, Trump seeing a threat from DeSantis and maybe even from other people, we'll get to that in just one second, is saying that he might not participate in a Republican primary debate. What Trump has said is, I see that everybody's talking about the Republican debates, but nobody got my approval or the approval of the Trump campaign before announcing them. When you're leading by seemingly insurmountable numbers and you have hostile networks with angry Trump and MAGA-hating anchors asking the questions, why subject yourself to being libeled and abused? Also, the second debate is being held at the Reagan Library, the chairman of, of which is amazingly Fred Ryan, publisher of the Washington Post. No! So he starts out skeptical of debates. By the end, he says, now, we're not doing that. What is he doing here? Is he really saying that he won't debate? Well, if he's high up enough in the polls, I guess he could try to get out of it. And he is very high in the polls right now. But is he high enough especially this early on, that he doesn't have to debate? I doubt it. I suspect this is more of a bluff, a little bit of a threat to try to gain some leverage, if it is, as President Trump is describing it, that he's had really no say in how these debates will take place, 
then yeah, he has every right to say, listen, folks, you guys can set whatever debates you want, but I'm the big dog in the race here. And so you're going to have to deal with me and we're going to need to make sure this isn't totally stacked against Trump. That said, he should debate. In 2016, that was his greatest strength. He, he didn't do great in the debates in 2020, in part because incumbents usually lose the first debate. And then uh, with all the COVID craziness uh, and all of the upending of the election rules, Trump didn't really have a chance to to win it back, to fight back in a way that, say, Reagan did. But, but Trump was great in the debates in 2016. He absolutely destroyed the other candidates on the stage. So I think it's to his advantage, especially because he's among the top tier candidates right now. He is the most charming, whether you like him or not. He's the most charming. He's the most show busy. He's the, the most relatable on a stage. So I think he should go for it, but, but He'll, he'll try to throw his weight around as much as he can to make sure that the debates aren't totally hostile to him. Now, now, I have a theory. I told you that there were other threats to Trump, and I have a theory, and I know you're going to laugh at me. So I, if you're driving, I want you to pull over. I don't want to be responsible for any car crashes. I think there is a dark horse candidate. I have a theory that, no, it's not, well, DeSantis is not a dark horse candidate. He's, he's one of the top two candidates right now. And it's not Pompeo. He's not running. It's not Cruz. He's not running. It's not, I don't think it's Mike Pence. I don't think it's Nikki Haley necessarily. Even she is running. I don't think it's Vivek. Vivek's doing great stuff. But I, the, the secret dark horse candidate that nobody's talking about, Chris Christie. I know, you're laughing. You say, Michael, there's no way we're going to see a Chrysosance. I think we might be on the cusp of a Chrysosance. Hear me out. Chris Christie is the governor, was the governor of New Jersey, very successful two-term governor of New Jersey. He was talked about as a potential presidential candidate far back as 2012. Chris Christie, being a Northeastern governor, is more liberal, centrist, moderate, whatever you want to say, than a lot of people in the party. The establishment loves that. But Chris Christie, being from New Jersey, is extremely obnoxious <laughs> and pretty funny. And he's got a kind of gruff, tough sense of humor, which is something that appeals to the base. It appeals to me. It appeals to a lot of people. It's one of Trump's great strengths is that he's got that New York fighting sensibility. So in Chris Christie, you get a candidate who is palatable to the establishment much more so than a Trump. But has the sizzle and the fight that appeals to more rock-ribbed, bloodthirsty types on the right, which the other non-Trump candidates don't really have quite as much. Don't forget, you're, I know you're still laughing at me, okay? But I'm just, I want to remind you, Chris Christie, though he's probably polling at 0% right now, he's really great on a debate stage. Do you remember what he did to Marco Rubio? Let's dispel with this fiction that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is trying to change this country. He wants America to become more like the rest of the world. We don't want to be like the rest of the world. We want to be the United States of America. And when I'm elected president, this will become once again the single greatest nation in the history of the world, not the disaster Barack Obama has imposed upon us. You see, everybody, I want the people at home to think about this. That's what Washington, D.C. does. The drive-by shot at the beginning with incorrect and incomplete information, and then the memorized 25-second speech that is exactly what his advisors gave him. See, see Marco, 
Marco, the thing is this. When you're President of the United States, when you're a governor of a state, the, the memorized 30-second speech where you talk about how great America is at the end of it doesn't solve one problem for one person. They expect you to plow the snow. They expect you to get the schools open. This notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing is just not there true. There it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. There it is, the memorized 25-second speech. Well, that's the, that's there the it reason is, everybody. why this campaign... I'm not saying Chris Christie should be the nominee, obviously. Far from it. What I am, I'm not saying he's going to be the nominee. I'm not saying he's even going to ever pull that high. But I would not be surprised if Chris Christie had a moment. Okay, I'm telling you, if, if Chris Christie ever does run, and he's signaling that he will run, and if Chris Christie pops up on any of the betting sites, I'll probably put a little bit of money on Chris Christie. Weirder things have happened in presidential races. And for the people right now who believe that this race, forget even Chris Christie for a second, if you believe that this race is just totally set in stone, you haven't paid attention to 2016, 2012, 2008, 2000, 96, 92. You haven't, you haven't paid attention. Crazier things have happened even than the Chrysosons. Now, speaking of candidates who are also something of a dark, dark horse candidates, though, in this case, a candidate who is much better liked and uh, probably getting uh, much more support right now would be my friend Vivek Ramaswamy. And Vivek just has a great take, not on the state of the race. Everyone's always talking about the horse races and the numbers and everything. Vivek just came out with a great point on why the libs are so opposed to nuclear energy. Well, the first thing that's going on is that actually it has nothing to do with the climate. It has to do with an anti-growth agenda in the United States itself. An agenda that says that part of the problem is that we should live with less. We should learn to live more simple lifestyles, that we should learn to apologize for our modern way of life and our success in America so the rest of the world can catch up. And nuclear energy throws a wrench into that plan. Because if you adopt nuclear energy in America, you might actually, God forbid, solve their own climate disaster crisis, their energy, clean energy crisis, and yet do it in a way that still allows GDP growth to remain on a steep slope in America, which would solve, which would prevent them from addressing the deeper problem they want to address, which is their agenda of global equity. That's what this is about. It is about making the West and America in particular apologize for its sins of GDP growth in the past by applying shackles then to future growth to allow places like China on the other side of the world to catch up. It's a really smart take from Vivek, as, as many of Vivek's takes are, as a very, very smart one. Because this is something that always has puzzled a lot of conservatives. They say, hold on, you environmentalists, okay, you, you think that gasoline and oil are bad for the environment. We could have a debate about that, but okay, fine. And you think coal is bad for the environment. Okay, I, I guess I kind of get it. But then why are you guys totally opposed to the only clean energy source that could power our whole country and is relatively safe and is relatively extremely clean and is, and is relatively extremely efficient, why are you opposed to nuclear if you want to solve this environmental problem? And Vivek points out, he says, there, the last part is the key. If they want to, but they don't want to solve the environmental problem because if they solve the environmental problem, then they no longer, which real or imagined, okay, I'm not saying that we're on the brink of an environmental catastrophe far from it, but they say that. And they don't want to fix that.
because they need to be on the brink of catastrophe in order to justify the rest of their program. We need to be on the brink of Armageddon. The world has to be about to end in 12 years. It's always 12 more years. I don't know. Every year, it just gets pushed back a year, but it's always about five to 10 to 12 years. The world is going to end if you don't give us all your money, give us all the political power, let us totally upend the political economy, let us upend your diet, let us upend the way that you drive and commute and live. That's why. That the nuclear, the anti-nuclear stance from the left is the giveaway that none of this is about solving any supposed environmental catastrophe on the horizon. The catastrophe is there to serve the broader political purpose of reordering society. My favorite comment yesterday is from Lewis Henson, who says, how about we make a documentary about Booker T. Washington played by Michael Knowles? It's a great idea, and it's a better idea even than you know, because not many people know that Booker T. Washington's middle name, the T, stands for Taliaferro, which is an Italian name. It means iron cutter. Now, it was Booker of Italian descent. I don't think so. He is half white, but I don't think the, his father, whom he didn't know and about whom we know nothing, I don't think he was of the Mezzogiorno. You know, something tells me he wasn't Italian, but he did, he did take the name Taliaferro. And so there you go. So I have a good argument for the casting director. Certainly a better argument than, than the uh, new Cleopatra movie has for its casting decisions. Now, speaking of women, speaking of women in the media, <laughs> moving from Cleopatra on to the London Marathon. One of the women running in the women's section of the London Marathon is someone named Glenn, who for the last two years has gone by Glenique. Glenn Frank, uh, who just gave an interview to the press on what his performance in the London Marathon means for girl power. Not your first marathon, I believe. No, this will be 17. And I'm doing the six majors. So I've just done Tokyo and New York last year. And then this year, Chicago, Berlin. 2024 will be the number six. And then that's a week before London. So a week rest, but girl power. Girl power. <laughs> it's... You have to laugh a little bit because the other choice would be to cry. If this news reporter had interviewed any actual woman, do you think the woman would have ended her interview by saying, girl power, yeah, yeah, you know, well, listen here, John and George always love to talk about girl power. That's the only British accent I can really do is Paul McCartney. No, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't feel the need to call attention to the fact that they are women because they know that they're women. Everyone knows that they're women. Okay, we can move on. The transgender movement insists upon this. This is why they wear the most ridiculous clothing. This is why they're constantly talking about womanhood. This is why they're constantly harping on their pronouns and how wonderful it is to be a woman. This is why Dylan Mulvaney has made his entire now quite lucrative career on what what it is to be a woman every single day. This isn't just about some people with some quirky sexual ideas trying to pass and live their own lives in society. It's never been about that. It's always about forcing this preposterous ideology down everybody's throat. Every single public expression of transgenderism amounts to this guy's interview. <laughs> 
Yeah, girl power. Yeah, I'm a woman. 365th day of being a woman. I'm a woman. I'm she. Oh gosh, being a woman, it's so hard. We got to go out shopping, buy dresses. Oh, I just love being a woman. I'm a woman. Look at me. Look at me. And they do this because they want you to lie. They want it to be impossible for you to ignore or politely sort of turn your eyes away from their absurdity. You have to engage with it and you have to go along with it and you have to assent to it. You have to affirm it. You have to lie. You have to lie. If we establish transgenderism in public life, you will have to lie. That is the point. There's no getting away. There's no live and let live. It was never about live and let live. Speaking of living and dying, do you know about the proxy war that we're engaged in in Sudan? Probably not. It hasn't made a lot of news. There's a civil war right now in Sudan. And uh, the only reason you may have potentially heard about this is because uh, news reports are out that one faction of the Sudanese civil war has now occupied a biological lab and the World Health Organization is warning that a, quote, extremely, extremely dangerous situation is threatening public health after the fighters in, in uh, central Sudan occupied a, a laboratory carrying samples of deadly diseases, including polio, including cholera. A WHO representative there, Nima Saeed Abid, says there is a huge biological risk associated with the occupation of the central public health lab by one of the fighting parties. So what's this civil war in Sudan all about? The civil war in Sudan obviously has a domestic component to it, but increasingly it's being viewed, and you can, you can read about it at Washington Examiner, and you can read about it elsewhere. It is being viewed as a proxy war between the United States and Russia, because the, the factions, the, the two factions in Sudan, are being backed alternately by the United States or, and, and by Russia. What does this mean for us? It means that when we engage in diplomacy, and when we engage in war, and when we escalate war, and when we recklessly escalate war, as the Biden administration has done in Ukraine, it's very difficult to contain that war. It's very difficult to predict exactly what's going to happen. There are a lot of people, these days mostly in the liberal establishment, previously you heard this kind of rhetoric from the neoconservatives, who I guess are kind of in the liberal establishment too, but they're a little bit distinct, who, who were so boastful. So any of these wars around the world, we could go in, we'd clobber the enemy in two seconds. Oh yeah, it would, the, the whole war, it'll take two weeks. And then we'll just move on. There we go. American might is exercised. American hegemony is preserved. We'll come home. They'll greet us as liberators. It'll take two seconds. All of our enemies will back down. We'll be out of there. You won't even know we went. And that just isn't how it has turned out. It's not how it turned out in Iraq. It's not how it turned out in Afghanistan. It's not how it turned out in Libya. It's not how it turned out in Ukraine. And in the Ukraine war, it's the U.S. fighting a proxy war with Russia in Ukraine, which is pretty dangerous when you have the global superpower fighting a war, a hot, a hot war, according to Russian ministers, uh, with a former superpower that has nuclear weapons with whom we fought a cold war for the last half of the 20th century. But then you think, oh, well, it's okay. We'll just contain it to 
to Ukraine until, oh, look, now there's a proxy conflict breaking out in Sudan. And oh, look, while the U.S. is mired in this conflict, it looks as though China is beginning to aggress in the South China Sea and Taiwan. And oh, look, circumstances spin out of control before our genius master of the universe ruling class knows what hit them. World wars have started for a lot less than this. And they've started under the leadership of much more serious statesmen than this. And that's going to be an important question in the 2024 race. Not just are men and women different? Not just are we going to not kill the babies? Not just are we going to take care of immigration? Not just are we going to revive the economy? Also, who do you trust to wage a world war? Because increasingly we appear to be spinning toward such a thing. Seeing a lot of violence around here. There's just one example of this on the domestic front. A Utah state senator, his home was just attacked by a transgender identifying vandal. And the uh, state senator, state senator Mike Kennedy, said his home was vandalized. He posted a photo with the words fash, because the libs and especially the trans activists, they call anyone who is in any way tethered to reality, they call, they call us fascists. And says, these trannies bash back was spray painted on a red house. These trannies bash back, get it? Saying, these trans activists are going to get violent. Oh, oh, you're the ones who will? Oh, yeah. I get, we haven't seen any violence from the pro-transgenderism political activists. Yeah, we, oh, we haven't seen that anywhere. You're right. I don't see that every time I go to a college campus, just about. We haven't seen that in, in much more aggressive and horrific ways just in the last month. No, no. These, these pro-trans activists, we bash back. As I have said before, it's always the ones you most expect. And when one's ideology is premised on irrationality and denying reality and denying the truth and purely imposing one's will untethered from intellect, well, you can probably expect irrational behavior. That's Woke Wednesday, speaking of irrational behavior. So we've got two woke TikToks, I think, on the transgender issue that uh, Mr. Davies wants me to see. The show continues now. Dailywire.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. 